Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. So we're not looking at Matthew today. We'll look at Matthew next week, um, but not today. Um, But the book of Genesis, chapter 11, and the story of the Tower of Babel. I shared this with the folks at the midweek meeting on Wednesday afternoon and evening. Again, that wasn't planned. Um, but um, it happened, um, and uh, it's been something, a passage that's been on my mind. So let's read these verses together. Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Amen. May God bless to us our reading and our reflecting on God's Word together. And we will do that in a minute after we've sung once again a song that rightly affirms that whatever may happen, the Lord is our shepherd who guards us and who guides us and who is with us through the dark valley or by the green pastures. A thousand and eight, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want, he makes me lie in pastures green. And we'll stand to sing. Most of you anyway know me well enough that often I will refer you back to the book of Genesis, um, to the beginning of the Bible. And I do that invariably, we often refer back to the whole story of the fall of God's creation and of the rebellion of humanity, the, the serpent and the garden and the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all the rest of it. And I refer back to that because that is foundational to our understanding. If we're going to say we have faith in God and we believe God's Word is relevant for suitable teaching and correcting and training in righteousness, then the story of Genesis is vital in understanding about who God is and also about humanity. And in a day where there's great confusion, I'm not talking about present circumstances, but generally great confusion about who we are, why we're here, and where we're going, then it's vital that as God's people, we do have a biblical perspective on some of these great questions. Yesterday, we had a funeral here for Liz Fraser. It was lovely to see such a large turnout of people from our community, through the family and friends, and also folks, obviously, from the church. And the flowers this morning, the beautiful flowers that Janet and our team have done, are a reminder of of Liz's flower ministry and her dedication to, to using flowers and other things to communicate God's grace and God's goodness. But at the end of the service, as I was standing with folk were going out, I was talking to the, 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 the steward in the Odawi crematorium, a, a lady, and she was saying that um, there was a funeral after hours, and that would be fine, there was plenty of time. 
and she was telling us how it was a funeral for an 18-year-old young man who had pushed him or jumped in front of a train and had committed suicide. And she was saying that actually, sadly, more and more, I mean, obviously there's elderly people and all the rest of it. Liz was 88 and, you know, there's a time to be born and a time to die. But, but the more and more there are younger people, um, young men, unfortunately often more than young women, who commit suicide. And families are left wondering and, and, and wondering why and, and how and, and what, what are the things that cause people in their minds to, to do such a drastic thing. Well, one of the things, easy to say, I know in front of the a congregation like this, but one of the things is a lack of understanding of who we are, a lack of understanding of what's going on in the world, a lack of understanding of, of, of our place in all of that and that bigger picture, which is not just for three score year and ten or four score if we're blessed, that is 70 or 80 years of age, but actually is an eternal perspective. We as Christians, as God's people, should be clear, at least a lot more clear, than our understanding of things like that. And this story, the story of the Tower of Babel, is a story that quite often maybe we got when we were in Sunday school many, many years ago. We worked our way through the book of Genesis a long time ago now. And, and, and perhaps some of us will remember that story, although like me, your memory's getting worse. You can't even remember what happened yesterday, let alone what happened maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and it's a story often that disappears in a sense between the story of Noah and the ark, and the story of Abraham and the call of God. And yet it is a vital story, because in this little story you could easily pass are some vital things that tell us, not just about what happened millennium ago, but what goes on in the world today, and God's perspective and insight on that. So I'd invite you to have your Bibles in front of you because we're going to be looking at it and in the context. The context of the story, as I said, is sandwiched between the story of Noah and the flood and the story of the call of Abraham. You'll remember the story of Noah probably pretty well and, and, and the ark and then, of course, the rainbow as a symbol of God's promise. Um, if you want to flick back in the book of Genesis, back to chapter 6. And we read the intro into the story of Noah and the flood. And in that story, we read all sorts of things were going on, and there is speculation as to what was happening with his Nephilim and all the rest of it, sort of weird things were going on. But we read in the midst of that, in verse 5 of chapter 6, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then again in verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. And so God said to Noah, and then he told them about what he was going to do and the building of the ark. And it's interesting in a sense, God's indictment on humanity, that the inclinations of their heart were 
evil. I think that's a very important word, inclinations. I still remember as a wee boy learning to be on my bike. And, and you know, when you start off, some folk actually never get the knack of cycling. Um, but even when you start off, most people have a tendency, you know, you have somebody to be holding on, especially when you take the stabilizers away and all the rest of it. Obviously, the stabilizers, that's fine. You can do it a bit quite a thing. But then once they're taken away, somebody needs to maybe hold on to the, the seat of your bike because even the best of us have this tendency to kind of, you know, go off the straight and narrow. And that word inclination is, that's what it means, this tendency, this thing within us that causes us to veer off the straight and narrow, to go this way or that way. This virus that we're hearing much about, we're told that for the majority of people, thankfully, the effects of it would be relatively minor. In fact, some people might even have it, not really know that they do. Other people, that fellow that came back from Singapore, remember, went around visiting his family. You don't want him coming to your door, do you? Uh, and giving you a, greet, a kiss or a hug or whatever. And then, and then he went around the chalet and then he went, you know, home and he, and he went out with one of his mates for a pint in the pub and then he got, his mate got it and then he went to the doctors and the doctors got it and he's going about quite the thing. And then he appears on, was it Facebook from the hospital, thanking everybody for their care. I tell you, you'll be writing him off my Christmas card list. <laughs> but you can go about not even know. And other people are struck down with it, and I have to say, by all accounts, if you're older, or if you have a heart condition, or asthmatic, and bronchial problems, it's not good. It can be very obvious hardly be noticed at all. And the inclination of the human heart to sin is actually like that. Yes, there are folk that are going about bashing grannies, robbing banks, and doing obviously terrible things, and we keep well aware of them, well away from them. For the majority of people living within our society, for the majority, even us sitting here this morning, the inclination to sin is not seen in great outward symptoms but it's seen in the quiet corners of our hearts, the attitudes of our minds, the concern for self, the neglect of God, the casual approach to right and wrong, that and in so many other ways, that inclination that is in the awe of the human heart to go off is there. No one is righteous, the Bible tells us. No, not one. All have fallen short of that perfect standard supremely revealed in Jesus Christ. That's why human total depravity, when we looked back in the autumn, is such an important biblical principle. One dear soul, very dear soul, was saying just the other day that they weren't very keen in the hymn Amazing Grace because it speaks about a saved, a wretch like me. And that word pictures for us somebody who is really bad, who's done really wrong things, who obviously is off the straight and narrow. But my friends, all of us by nature before a holy God spiritually are wretched, lost, and under God's judgment for our sins as we see here. And the story of the Noah, we're not going into all of that, but the story of Noah ends, of course, with the promise. And so if you want to turn to chapter 8, 
and we read that Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals, verse 20 of chapter 8, Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though, now notice again this, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And the rainbow, the symbol of God's covenant promise. As you know, I visited um, a minister, colleague, friend, um, back in the summertime during my study leave, and went up to Skye, to the very north of Skye. I can't remember the name of the wee place we went to, where the ferry goes from there to Harris. And I have to say, it was very impressive as we came to the very top of that island, and you can't see it, the boat was sailing out from the harbour, going away in its overnight journey to the island of Harris, and it was, it was well, Scotland, in August, would you expect? Um, there were black, dark, black clouds in the horizon, but the sun was piercing those clouds, and actually, although that was that way, the black clouds, this way, it was actually still quite bright and bluish. And in the midst of that, it was raining. I mean, where else would you get the sun, the rain, whatever? Seasons, all seasons are one. You just went for a bit of snow and we've been all right, you know? And then what appeared but a rainbow. You see, my friends, the rainbow appears. First of all, there has to be rain. And it also stands out when there is contrast in the sky between brilliance of light and the dark clouds of a storm. That's when it stands out, as I did that night beautifully, over the, the minches that you call it. I don't know, the bit of water between there and Harris. Um, this, it stood out sparklingly, but in contrast to the blackness of the stormy clouds and the rain and the air. You see, my friends, the promise of the rainbow isn't that everything's going to be hunky-dory, there's going to be 24-7 sunshine, and everything's going to be just beautiful in the garden. It actually stands in the contrast to the hearts, the human heart's inclination and the fallenness of our world. And also note that he does not say, he does say that he will not destroy humanity from the face of the earth, and he will not destroy all living creatures. He doesn't say nothing bad's ever going to happen. Never again. It's a promise, but it's not a promise to say everything's going to be fine. Far, far from it. As the rest of the story goes on, if you read the story of Noah if you want to, things certainly went very fine there. Read the story of the nations, things went very fine there. All sorts of things were starting to come out. And then to the Tower of Babel, and they're gathering together, and they have that common language, and that coming together as a community, and everything else. And what do they decide to do? They say to each other, Genesis 11 and verse 3, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Ultimately, human beings with their inclination to sin actually do have 
a fear, a fear of the unknown, a fear of being found out, a fear of being caught out, a fear of what might happen. That is built in. When sin came into the world, when that place of perfect harmony was broken in the Garden of Eden, faith was replaced by fear. Now, we cover that up. We learn how to manage it. We use bricks and mortars to give us security, a whole host of things to bring us peace and hope and happiness. But ultimately, fear stalks us like the black cloud in the stormy skies. And so as an antidote to that, we'll do practically anything. Here, they're going to build for themselves a tower. And notice what it says, so that we can make a name for ourselves. You remember the serpent in the garden? Eat the fruit, and then you'll become like the gods. That desire to exalt ourselves that desire to bring glory to ourselves, that desire to make a name for ourselves. But notice what they use in order to build that. They don't take the stone, and they don't use mortar. They use bricks, and they use tar. And we're not told why they decide to do that. Maybe they decide, oh, that's a bit boring. That's kind of there. Let's do something that we've made, that we've fashioned with our own hands. And so they make the bricks and they use the tar. And certainly if Babel is situated, as people think, in the southern part, perhaps of Iraq, where there are now, of course, oil wells. But in those days, there would have been tar pits where the oils and the tar would have come to the surface. Then it was on hand. There's plenty of sand, let's be honest, and other things. But you don't need me to tell you, what lasts longer? Baldwell Castle stone, or the bricks that clad many of your houses? And what lasts longer in the heat and the climate of mortar or tar? Remember, even as a wee boy, remember? This is the, the man. You don't see that so much. In the, well, you know, when the state of the roads, no surprise, you don't see very much, you know? You used to see them coming out and repair the roads, remember? And the, the temptation was to run on it when it was still soft. Or it was a very hot day. We don't get many of them either now, do we? And you would go out, you would put your feet, yes, and woe betide you when you got home and you had tar stuck over your sandals or whatever it was you had on your feet. You see? It goes soft. Actually, what they're building with may look the part, may look a bit different, may stand out from everything else round about, but it's actually very friable and very fragile. It won't stand the test of time. And my friends, we live in a world in the 21st century, before that as well, that builds great things. They don't just mean here literally build great things. Of course, of course we do. You go to the cities of our world and the massive buildings there and the glass and all the rest of it but more metaphorically, builds great things, things that we have made, things that are the product of our skill, our talents, and so much of it is fragile and friable. And come the heat of the day, come the test of time, come the point of trial, and it turns to dust, and it melts away. Whatever confidence we may have in our health service to be able to deal with a major crisis in our nation, I have no confidence in the stability and security of our society to hold together under such pressures. Worst case scenarios I mentioned, even today by government officials, 2.5 million people in hospital, 500,000 people dead. Would our society cope with that? Would people that we know 
cope with the dislocation and the forced restrictions. Hey, my goodness, bad enough folk can't even house a day. You know, at Christmas time, the shops aren't open. How are they going to cope if they're told to stay indoors for a fortnight? The sense of community. The things that mark this nation and other parts of the world from the war and afterward. My parents' generation. Today, would we cope? Or would the tar melt and the bricks turn to dust? And God looks down. Notice what it says. The Lord came down to see the city. It just reminds us of however high this tower is going to be. And of course, the idea is they're going to go up to the heavens and they're going to then be able to eyeball God, basically, and be able to say to God, you know, hiya, how are you? You look like, well, actually, with the beard and everything, there's that kind of, you know, you can see that, you know. Yes, a God-like figure. <laughs> but notice, I'm still higher than you, you see. I'm the king of the castle. And you, even you, Jehovah, are dirty, you rascal. Don't mean that yet. You know me well. But you take the point. The Lord is not mocked. The one who rules and reigns and majesty sublime. The one who walks through the vastness of the universe. And we live in a day where more and more we're made aware of how vast and how miraculous and how wonderful creation in the universe really is. He comes down sees the city and the tower, sees human beings wanting to make a name for themselves. They have a common language. That was long before the internet and all the technological advances of today. We're a global community. We're a world community. We can do anything. Technology will answer all our questions and provide for all our needs. What we have made with the labor of our hands will satisfy not just this generation, but generations to come. And the Lord comes down and He says, you think? And the arrogance, nothing will be impossible for us that not ring a bell? As some of the spirit of the age, a battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spirits and the principalities of this present age, but it's there. Oh, you can do anything, anything. You can be anything. You can self-identify. You can take the rainbow color and use it to speak of things that certainly don't reside under the blessing of God. You can do anything. You can make up the rules. You can change them. You can rule the world. And God says, nah, come, let's go down. Notice that just a wee bypass there, as I said. This, if you've got Jehovah's Witnesses at the door, just this, another wee verse. Why, why does God say, come, let us go down? Because it's God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they'll not understand. So the Lord scatters them. Here's a people who think they've got it all, and the Lord just, and it's scattered, thrown to the four corners of the world. 
And notice what it says. They stopped building the city, their pipe dreams, the things that they've invested in, the things that they thought were going to bring security. A city walled with locked gates and a big tower so they could see and rule over the land. That city becomes desolate, broken, empty. And it's called Babel. Does that ring any bells? Where's the city in the Old and the New Testament that is used, or the, the area, or the place, or the, or the kind of grouping that's seen as being the great enemies of Israel and the great enemies of God? It may not be Babel, but it's Babylon. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation, to the very end of the story. It's always good to know the ending. I think it was you, Ian, bless your brother, that said to us once not very long ago, the book of Revelation, how do you get a handle on that? Well, he said, he told us, the answer is, the book of Revelation tells us, Jesus wins. Very good. Revelation chapter 18. You would need to read more to get the context again, and time's going on, and we're going to have communion. But the chapter before that, Babylon, the prostitute of the beast, and, and you know, and this idea that this is a, a grouping, a, ultimately a spiritual domain, the principalities and powers of this present age that manifest itself in power groupings and in attitudes and in behavior and in the ways of this world. But that ultimate spiritual empire sets itself against God. Indeed, in chapter 17, and your Bible probably in minds it has in capital letters, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And it goes on to say in verse 6, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And we'll be reminded in a few weeks' time of what that means for God's people in our world today to be martyrs for the gospel's sake. But anyway, time is put on. Time's going. Chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour out a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And you can read on later that tale of God's judgment. My friends, be alert. Do not be deceived. The things that this world think will give them security, the bricks and the tar that we look to to give us hope, they will and do turn to dust. You cannot be a student of history without realizing that. And apart from being a student of divinity, I hope you also know that I'm a student of history. 
It tells the story. Tower and temple, the old times, the old times are good, Alan. Tower and temple fall to dust. But all my hope on God is founded. He does still my trust renew. And as we live in a world where there is fire and storm and drought and flood and plague and war and chaos and gross inhumanity, God comes down. And the same God who grieved over creation at the time of Noah, the same God who saw this petty empire building of humanity in the Tower of Babel is the same God who looks down upon our world today and says, and do you think? And yet, as we close, notice what the next story is. It's the story of the call of Abraham. It's the story of God starting his big project. Well, he already started in the garden, but starting to fulfill his great project of a people. And notice that when he calls Abraham, and if you want to look at chapter 12, it's just next to you, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curse you, I will curse. And then this little bit, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, my friends, God acts in judgment, but even in judgment, He remembers mercy. God's desire to have a people who will live in a covenant relationship with Him, a people who will know His grace to forgive, His power to be changed, and the hope and glory of heaven before them. That is the God who, despite what humanity may set themselves up to do, is not mocked and will have His way. And we are part of that kingdom covenant people. If our confidence is the one who is Abraham's greater son, Jesus Christ. And a God who in the day of Pentecost, as their languages were confused, and all the issues of what they thought that might bring. But turn to the book of Acts. And that company of many ways very fragile disciples in that upper room. And in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Verse 1, chapter 2, Acts. And a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? 
Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judeans, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. You see, my friends, God doesn't need a global language. He doesn't need a global economic market. He doesn't need this one world thing that you hear people talking about. He is able to rule over all that takes place and to speak to men and women that word of gospel, life and hope. Perhaps even this morning he's brought you to church. So then this day and this generation, perhaps in a new way you've heard God speak a word of warning, but also a word of gospel into your life. Put thou thy hope in God, who calls us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. So that on that day when Jesus Christ returns, whether that be soon or far, he will have that ransomed people from every tribe and language grouping and ethnic grouping and racial grouping that's ever existed on this earth. He doesn't need our paltry attempts to make us into a name for ourselves. He has a name. And there's no other name under heaven or upon earth by which we might be saved. And he will bring together in that name that kingdom people for his glory. Will we still trust the bricks and the tar that come the day of testing will turn to dust and melt away? Or is our hope in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth? Amen. And may God bless his word to our hearts. Jesus, Redeemer, Friend and King to me, my refuge, my comfort, you're everything I need. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.